Hello and welcome back to the Basic Bible Podcast. Welcome to this special edition. We're going to be talking uh, about a, just a recently released book, Susie, The Life and Legacy of Susanna Spurgeon by Ray Rhodes. And uh, Ray, you're with us here on the podcast now. Welcome to the Basic Bible Podcast. Well, thank you, Kevin. Thanks for uh, having me on. Well, thanks for writing this book. I, mean, I just started reading it last night, and uh, it, it's a page-turner. It's, it's fascinating. And so uh, let me ask you to j- just throw a softball question. And from what I understand, this is unprofessional. I know some uh, authors don't like answering this question. But what was it that drew you to, sur- to, uh, to Mrs. Spurgeon? Because, you know, you and I were both Baptists, and any Baptist worth his weight is a huge fan of Charles Spurgeon. So what, what drew you to his wife to write about her? Yeah, well, uh, sort of the lighthearted answer is uh, everyone else chose Charles, so uh, <laughs> Susie was left out in the cold. I had to go uh, rescue her from obscurity. But uh, the more substantive answer is that, uh, like you, I've been loving Spurgeon a long time. Mm. I really never thought a lot about his wife. Uh, of course, I'd come across her in Spurgeon biographies and whatnot. But uh, a few years ago, I went back to seminary again, uh, graduated in 2016 from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, D-Man, and had to choose a thesis topic. And I was able to write on the spirituality of Charles and Susanna Spurgeon, mm-hmm. specifically their prayer and Bible uh, reading. And as a result, I became increasingly acquainted with Susanna. And uh, afterwards, I was talking to various publishers and book people and discovered that there was an interest in a biography of Susie Spurgeon. And so I began digging a little deeper. I was able to make a couple of trips over to London Mm. and uh, found out uh, this lady is multi-layered, a fascinating woman, accomplished much in her own right, uh, and did much of it while she was afflicted. So I just became passionate about Susie and, uh, and... continued on and i've enjoyed every second of it. i'm still as excited now as i was when i started so you know the the amazing as i was just reading through it last night the amazing thing is this woman has accomplished so much i'm, I'm really shocked that there's not more mentioned about her anywhere but if, if i'm if i get this right there's only one other biography about her and this is back in the early 1900s yeah think about that kevin uh, the most arguably uh the most popular preacher in all of history. Uh, one of, certainly in the top ten, I would argue in the top five in all of history, uh, well, well-known, author of 135 books or so, 63 volumes of sermons, still very popular today, and no one has really done an in-depth study of his wife until this book. Uh, thankfully, the 1903 biography that you referred to, Charles Ray is the author of that, he, uh, he, he left us that. It was a summary. I think it's about 100 pages. It's been uh, republished by Banner of Truth. Uh, you may have seen it before. It's a little pink uh, paperback. Good, good, good volume, but that's all we have, other than what we find out in Spurgeon biographies. Right. And uh, we get glimpses of her here and there in, in some of those. And a lot of times, only a paragraph, it seems, in those. So now, I'm, I was stunned by that. I talked to one of our professors at seminary, and he, he said it's very unusual to find a subject that is connected to someone of such interest and has never been published. Mm-hmm. And so he was thrilled that I was able to make this connection. Now, is this because we're both complementarians? Was that? No, I don't want to go there. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm kind of fascinated. Tell us a little bit about their marriage. Because uh, you don't think about 
Spurgeon as the family man. We think of him as the theologian, as the preacher, as the mentor to countless number of, of preachers. But tell us a little bit, how, how did they meet? And was Spurgeon a, a romantic guy? What, what was their dynamic together? Yeah, that's, uh, that's fascinating, too, because we do think of Spurgeon as the pastor, the reader, the writer, the theologian, the mentor, all of those things that you uh, mentioned. But Spurgeon was a very romantic guy. He loved Susie. He wrote her every day that he was away from home. Some of those letters I've often said will make a Victorian blush. Yeah. Uh, just very, very affectionate letters. Uh, he would write a daydreaming of her mm. while he was away. So that's, you know, again, you think of Spurgeon, all, all that you've read about him and thought, and he's writing a love letter to his wife about daydreaming about her. Mm. He, uh, he loved her. He missed her when he was gone. He sent her gifts uh, when he was on the road. He, he sat near her at home. They held hands together. One biographer wrote of them in their old age that they were like two teenagers, yeah. essentially. Uh, the romance never died between, between those two. Wow. So talk to us a little bit about uh, Susie as, as the pastor's wife, because there's there seems to be two different extremes. You've got the uh, those who say the pastor's wife should be the, you know, you got to sing, sew, and play the piano. you got to be an active role in everything. And then there's the other extreme that says, no, her only job is to take care of her husband, and that is it. And some of that role is, you know, defined by who the person is and what the expectations of the church are. But how did Susie play a role in, in Charles's ministry? And uh, talk to us a little bit about, about her the ministry side of her. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, in Victorian times, uh, women were pretty much under complete control of their husbands. Yeah. So they had they had few rights. In fact, if a widow uh, who may have accumulated much property uh, through her husband uh, before he died uh, and was left that after his death, if she were to remarry, uh, that property was completely in control of her new husband day one. Mm. So uh, women had few rights, though that was beginning to change. But in Spurgeon's marriage, he encouraged her to, to put her hand to the plow and to, uh, to serve. Susie was content being his wife, being a homemaker, and all of that, and she did a great job uh, with best best she could with her health. But uh, Spurgeon challenged her to, to be involved, and during their engagement, she would he would go over to her home and on Monday nights, and he would work on editing his uh, sermon for publication, and she would sit by his side. Well, one of those evenings, he handed her a book by Thomas Brooks and asked her to go through that book and pull out some, uh, some good quotes, and ultimately that became a book called Smooth Stones Taken from Ancient Brooks, a play on the Puritan's name, and it's still published. Uh, it only has Charles's name on it, though Susie did a lot of the work. For that, so that that was her first venture into publishing, was when they were engaged. But uh, in 1875, she began the Mrs. Spurgeon's Book Fund. They were married in '56, so Mrs. Spurgeon's Book Fund began in '75, and through that, over the course of her life until 1903, she uh, gave away 200,000 books to poor wow. pastors. And she ministered to their families. Uh, now, she was an invalid by this time. Prior to that, prior to 1868, she was active in their church, uh, ministering to baptismal candidates primarily, lady baptismal candidates. 
She uh, prayed with Charles uh, when he was depressed on Sunday evenings. She would read to him. She read poetry to him. George Herbert was his favorite. Hmm. She would read Richard Baxter to him when he felt that he had not, uh, his heart was not as warm as it should be towards God that day. So she read to him. She prayed for him. She served side by side with him. She traveled with him in those early days. Uh, in fact, one of the surprising things about her is that uh, she hiked most of the Swiss uh, mountain passes, the Alps passes, and Spurgeon in his carriage with his publisher talking theology, and Susie's out front exploring <laughs> the landscape, which I didn't expect that. I just yeah. sort of thought of her as being at home and, and unable to do much, sort of fragile, and she was later. But after 1868, her traveling days are over. Uh, she's at home most of the time, and she's supporting him from home through her letters, through her prayers, through family worship with him, through reading to him. Uh, and then the book found in 1875, and she gave away lots of books by uh, various authors, but primarily what people wanted was Spurgeon. Yeah. And it was Lectures to My Students, Volume 1, that sort of set that in motion. Mm -hmm. Of course, later she would write a book while he was alive on the book fund, and then after he died, she would write another one. And uh, she ended up writing five books. The, uh, she edited and was the co contributor to the uh, autobiography of Charles Spurgeon after his death. She was the editor of The Sword and the Trowel for a number of years. And again, she even planted a church. So uh, yeah. Spurgeon, <laughs> she, she served him after his death by committing to carry on his legacy, which she uh, was energetic about after Spurgeon died. So you've already alluded to this a couple of times, so let's get into a little more detail. You refer to her in the book as the great sufferer. Expand upon that theme. Yeah, like I said, she's uh, very active. They're traveling together throughout France and uh, other places, and uh, she's with him in Geneva when he preaches in Calvin's pulpit. Mm. Uh, the only time I believe that Spurgeon ever wore clerical robes was in Calvin's pulpit. He was uh, generally opposed to that, but for the privilege of preaching in that pulpit, he gladly <laughs> adorned, hmm. adorned those. Uh, but in 1867, uh, and I've got records of her church attendance uh, prior to that. She was active in church. 1867, her attendance begins declining. Uh, 1868 or 9, she has surgery by one of the most famed gynecologists of the day. And uh, after that, she's uh, essentially homebound and she suffers great pain the rest of her life. So we don't know the nature of it. We don't know exactly what kind of surgery it was, except that it was uh, it related to gynecology. So some sort of female issue. It's been uh, guessed that uh, it could have been a hysterectomy that didn't go that well. It could have been... Uh, my, my theory is endometriosis, a hmm. severe form of endometriosis, because she, uh, she didn't die as a result of the disease, but she felt pain. And from what I understand about endometriosis, uh, a lady can feel great pain uh, throughout her life, even with surgeries and whatnot. And, of course, surgery was much more primitive back then than it is now. Right. So she suffered. Now, you just set that in contrast to her prior years, traveling across the Alps, traveling across the countryside with Charles, and now she's homebound. Uh, and so she suffers. And she describes some of her days as not being able to raise her hands nor her head. Hmm. And that's stunning, really. Uh, Spurgeon would say if she traveled a mile from home, it would, put her, it would set her back several days. She'd be wow. bedridden. So she could hardly do anything, 
until later in life uh, when the Lord gave her a bit of strength and she was with Spurgeon when he died in southern France. But mostly she's homebound and she's in pain. And she's lonely as well because Spurgeon's gone a lot. So uh, there's a lot going on with Susie during that time. So how does Charles minister to her uh, going through all this different... As you said, he's traveling quite a bit. Um, are there some abandonment issues there? How, how does he minister to her? Yeah, that's a question I've received a few times. As you, you know, as folks say, well, you say that Charles was a great husband and loved his wife, but how could he? How could that be when he's gone so often? Well, a couple of things. One, some of Spurgeon's travels, especially from 1870, early 1870s onward, were health-related for himself. His doctor prescribed the southern coast of France a warmer climate for his own issues. Uh, he had he had gout. He had uh, kidney disease. He may have had rheumatoid arthritis, uh, he suffered with depression, I mean, he had all sorts of health, overweight, all sorts of health issues, so he, he traveled to survive. Hmm. Uh, of course, prior to that, and during that time, he's also traveling to preach. But a couple of things will help us to set this in context. One is the era in which they live, and the history in which Spurgeon was a, a part of, really. Uh, Spurgeon was a Puritan. Uh, not in the formal sense, but he was Puritan-like. His heroes were the Puritan, as well as folks like George Whitfield. And the mindset of ministry among that strain, at least, and, and other strains as well, is that you serve God by the ministry. is through uh, your, your pastoring and your church. That is a priority. And both Charles and Susie embraced that. I mean, she made a commitment... Uh, early in their marriage, never to hinder him, her, whether it was her health or any other reason, from performing his ministry. So that's the school he's trained in. That's the way he thinks. That's the way he grew up, was ministry first. But secondly, uh, he did have such an intimate relationship with Susie. Uh, the era they lived in, even a middle-class family would have a at least one household servant, all, usually. Uh, now, that's not a slave. That's an employee and uh, a basic housekeeper to be a cook or both but uh, as you increased in stature and income and Spurgeon was a landowner as well uh, you would have more so by the time Spurgeon dies in 1892 they probably have at least nine or ten full-time employees in their hmm. home now in Spurgeon's case you've seen maybe you've seen Downton Abbey and you get sort of a, a picture of what that world. Wait, looks don't like. don't tell the entire audience that I've I've been watching Downton Abbey. <laughs> my, I, I watch it with my wife, but okay. Oh, okay, good, good. <laughs> we we watched a little bit of that. We uh, never <laughs> got no, never got through that, but it was different from that. Uh, in that Spurgeon's servants were like family. Uh, they were made members of his family. So he had gardener, he had uh, housekeeper, cooks, dressmakers. Because he, he essentially his home was a little industry, so he's writing from there. He's entertaining guests from there. He's, he's got uh, sometimes two secretaries with him, helping him in research and and other projects. It's just a he's he's running sixty institutions as well as the church, and he's traveling. I mean, his life is very unique, so it required a lot of help. And um, so when Spurgeon was away, it wasn't like Susie do the best you can. She is surrounded by people that love her. And some of the servants were very close friends, especially one, Elizabeth Thorne, who joined their family 
uh, pretty early in their marriage, and she, she in essence, took over the book fund when Susie died for a number of years. They were that close. They were at the funeral. Uh, so this was an intimate relationship. So she was cared for. Spurgeon was good friends with doctors on, on you know, just a very personal level. So he could call a doctor to help. He had uh, the servants there. And uh, he was, you know, he was not going all the time himself. Of course, none of that is a substitute for having your spouse at home. I right. understand that. But just putting Spurgeon in his context and his training, the era in which he lived, I think helps us to understand. And he would, again, he wrote her every day. He would yeah. send her gifts. He, uh, a thousand different ways he tried to show her how much he loved her and cared for her. So what do you think her lasting legacy will be? Yeah, well, one that I think a lot of people will not get is this. Uh, and I think it's the most important legacy. Uh, we could talk about the book fund. She's remembered for that. We could talk about the books that she authored. We could talk about the church that she planted. But I think the, the lasting legacy of Susie Spurgeon is Charles Spurgeon. Uh, and I'm increasingly convinced, the more research I've done, I, I do on her, is that we would not have Charles Spurgeon as we have him if he had not been married to this. He didn't just need a wife. He needed this particular mm -hmm. wife. And she supported him in such a way. And when he died, she gave her remaining years. He died in 1892. She died in 1903. She gave her remaining years to uh, seeing that his sermons were translated, distributed around the world as books. And I don't believe, I believe Spurgeon would still be known today. I don't believe he would be known as he is, yeah. as sort of uh, the uh, super uh, preacher and person that he was, uh, uh, outside of Susie. Uh, she gave herself to his legacy, and he was a brilliant man before he met her. I think he would have been brilliant and served faithfully without her. I just don't think it would have reached the sort of stratosphere that it did then and that he still enjoys today, especially in America. There's no country in the world where Spurgeon is more revered than in America by Christians. But also, even un there's an unbelievers often know who Charles Spurgeon is because they've seen morning and evening right. in someone's home. They're, they're at least familiar with the name. Both of my trips to London, I uh, walked down the streets. I would just ask people randomly, have you ever heard of Charles Spurgeon? No, never heard of him. <laughs> Wow. And uh, as late as 1834, they had a, he was born in, uh, I'm sorry, he was born in 1834. In 1934, they had at the Prince Albert Hall, attended by the Prime Minister and uh, uh, organized by the Queen, I believe, or was a king at that time, I forget, but uh, that was Queen at that time. There was, uh, there was a celebration of Charles Spurgeon's 100th uh, anniversary of his wow. birth. Uh, so that's not that long ago for an old guy yeah. like you and me, Kevin. <laughs> Let me ask you. You can almost remember that probably, right? You right. know, according to my students, I am sure they think I was probably there. Uh, <laughs> but let me ask you one final question that uh, I've always wanted to ask any uh, biographer. Uh, you know, the temptation is when you read a book like this, you walk away thinking, well, I need to be like... Charles or or Susie, uh, and and that that can be enslaving. So how do you uh, what do you think that that viewers or readers should walk away thinking uh, when they read a biography of this this yeah. nature? And that could be true of any any of our heroes, right? Uh, well, I think that you need to write 135 books, and <laughs> 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 that, 
Now, it is, it's true, it would be intimidating if we, if you and I were to set off, if you and I were 16 years old and we were to set off today to become Charles Spurgeon, we could not do that. That's not who we are. That's not who God has made us to be. And, and that's not God's intent with our heroes, is to become that person yeah. and to do exactly what they did. God has uniquely gifted us and for our time and place. We can, we can do more, perhaps, than we're doing, but... We can't become someone else. So the, right. the lesson is this. Look at Charles and Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon and Susie and be encouraged. Uh, follow their example, but not, the, uh, ex not in an exact sort of way. Yeah. So they were faithful in Bible study and prayer. They were faithful to serve God as best they could while they could. So Susie from home, as an afflicted widow, uh, and before she's a widow, as an afflicted lady homebound, is doing extraordinary things for God, yeah. for the glory of God, and serving in service to the church and ministering to pastors. Just the, the the pastors would treasure the letters that they would receive from her, along with the books. You know, she enclosed a letter with a parcel of books that she would send to these pastors, and they treasured those letters. So do all that you can do yeah. uh, in whatever situation you're in, to the best of your ability, and trust God. Yeah, uh, for the results. Yeah, you know, I think for me sometimes, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be, I'll, I'll say, you know what, I can't be Charles Spurgeon or I can't be John Calvin or whoever, but mm -hmm. you know, maybe there's something from this book that I could, maybe I, I, I can, I can buy a few books and I can give them to some ministry students I know, or, or at the very least, I can rejoice and say, look at what God did through mm -hmm. these people, and the gospel has flourished because of it. We serve an awesome God, and I think your your book does a good job of of hitting that home. And uh, it really is a great book. It's a page turner. It's fascinating. We didn't even get to uh, we just skimmed the surface of what you've written. <laughs> and so I would encourage everyone to go out and get this book, Susie: The Life and Legacy of Susie and the Spurgeon. And uh, we'll have that link on our website, so you can make sure to get that. Uh, and so, uh, Brother Ray, thank you so much for taking the time and and joining us on our podcast. Well, thank you, Brother Kevin. Thank you for the good work that, that you're doing up there in Wisconsin. <laughs> well, and thank all of you for listening. We'll be back next week. We're going to be um, continuing on our podcast journey. Don't forget to check us out at www.basicbiblepodcast.org. So until next week, have a great rest of your day.